0: Welcome to the Veterinary Business Matters podcast brought to you by Oculus Insights. Here we will discuss topics related to veterinary business management. From small to large animal, this podcast strives to give you the insight and tools to help you improve your veterinary business. Oculus Insights, supporting businesses where great people want to be. Hi, welcome to another Veterinary Business Matters podcast. I'm Dr. Mike Connell. As part of our COVID-19 Veterinary Resilience Guide, I am very proud to introduce an old friend, old colleague, uh, Dr. Melanie Barham. Dr. Barham, Melanie is the founder of the DVM Project, which we will get to, but I also know her as an exceptional veterinarian who uh, used to work with us, and we've kept up a very good friendship over the years. So, Melanie, welcome.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Mike.
0: So we're going to talk a lot about the DVM project, but first of all, why don't we let everybody know a little bit about you, your background, equine veterinarian, you're from Ontario, you transitioned out of being an equine vet a few years ago, so please tell your story.
1: Yeah, great. So I used to work at McKee Poundell Equine Services uh, with Mike, but prior to that, I did an internship in California and I worked for a while in Ottawa at an equine practice. And then I took a job at the laboratory uh, at the University of Guelph, the animal health lab, when they were looking for somebody to do an innovative surveillance project, which is now called the Ontario Animal Health Network. It's a really fun and really interesting and amazing program that covers all species. So we bring groups of experts together to talk about what's going on in different species groups at that particular time. And we gather data that's needed. So we ask practitioners, what they're seeing in practice. We bring together lab data as well as other data that might be useful. And then we put it into useful and meaningful reports. So my job as the coordinator is to support those networks activities, basically kind of be a Johnny on the spot and figure out where I might be needed and where I can help fill in gaps. So it's been a very fun five or six, it's been nearly six years now. That's been that. During that time, actually almost immediately after I left practice, I started to notice outside of clinical practice, and this was perhaps my ignorance and being uh, just a very one track mind, uh, heavy interest in equine. I started to notice outside of clinical practice that there were all these amazing veterinarians doing these really cool things and different jobs that I'd never heard of. I'd never seen, I had never even considered these positions and these amazing roles that they were fulfilling for animal health and for One Health and trying to and moving huge files and huge issues forward to help thousands and hundreds of thousands of animals in both in Canada and the United States. And kind of around that same time, I started getting calls from colleagues who were saying, hey, I'm not sure if I want to stay in practice. I don't know what I want to do. You know, do you have any ideas? And I guess it struck me that I I could certainly be that conduit, but it also struck me that there should be some kind of place for A, for people who don't practice to come together and talk about what they you know, build a sense of community, but then also to showcase these really, really cool jobs that people are doing and to celebrate the role that veterinarians play in practice. So I started interviewing veterinarians, uh, partly because I love to write and I'm a little bit nosy and I like to ask questions and be, maybe that's the clinician part of me. So I started doing interviews and writing them up and putting them on my blog, The DVM Project and that transitioned into additionally adding on a community a facebook community that's free to any graduated veterinarian and then along that period of time i started doing an mba in 2018 through that i started thinking about and doing lots of different you know readings and researching things and started to provide some career advice not necessarily specific to one person, but just general tips and showcasing some of the things that could be applied from the business world and and from what we know in careers research to help people who are wanting to stay in practice, who want to are trying to explore what they might want to do next. So that's where it's kind of transitioned and it's really grown quite a bit. I've just been incredibly pleased to be a part of and to have had this lovely group that's so positive and just has these wonderful collegial discussions about you know, where they might want to be and what challenges they might be facing. It's just been very, very fun.
0: I've been watching this for a while and watching as it developed. And as you said, it really is growing and developing. It's quite remarkable that they I wouldn't say it's remarkable, but it's, it's interesting that there is a community of veterinarians that are looking at these alternative career paths. I remember being in vet school, you know, there's a number of students in my class who are like, even by third year, they're like, you know, I thought I really wanted to be a vet, but I'm not sure. You know, they've done their externships, they did a little bit of clinical practice and they're like, yeah, it's it's not me. And I think a few of them went and found alternative careers. But I remember even not that long ago, people were questioning the clinical veterinary path in which there was the alternative path or knowledge of it. So the question I have, are there a couple of things or trends that you're looking at or seeing that reasons why people are looking at uh, alternative career paths. Is there major causes or is it depending on the species, the age, what causes people to start questioning what they're doing?
1: Yeah. So perhaps I can dive into some of the research stuff. So as part of my MBA program, I completed, I'm still finishing writing it up, but completed a major research project on veterinary careers. So consisted of a survey that was anonymous and uh, distributed all around the world to over 50 groups, both organized veterinary groups and then Facebook groups and informal networks. And we got over a thousand responses to that from veterinarians who were, it was almost a 50-50 split of vets who were still in practice and those who had left practice. So pretty good idea of where the population might be. There's so much data there, and it's so interesting to get into it. And I, I can't wait to publish it and share it uh, in a more broad way. But some of the things that really, really interested me were that the people who stayed in practice, who were you know, currently still in practice, so that was about a little bit greater than 50% of our respondents, most of them had considered leaving practice at one time. And these veterinarians ranged in age from new grads, all the way to retirees who had spent their entire career in vet med. So 75% of them overall had considered leaving practice at one time. It doesn't mean they left practice, but I found that to be an amazing statistic because for me, I feel like a lot of the phone calls that I get and a lot of the posts that we see in the DVM project page are, I feel really alone. And I, I don't know if I'm the only one who feels this way. But I I'm not sure if practice is for me or I feel like I maybe should leave. I've just found that that to be a profound statistic that, you know, 75% of people who are still in practice have at least considered it. So they're definitely not alone. It doesn't mean that they left practice. And interestingly, people who left and people who stayed cited the same reasons for considering leaving. So it's not like they were exposed to different things or that they had different stressors. It's more that they had You know, some of the people who stayed, you know, they tried to develop different family support systems. The biggest thing, which was really interesting, is that they changed their mindset about what they could achieve and what they wanted to be in practice. Lots of them said that they, in the comments, said that, you know, they found a niche or they found a different way to practice or they developed better boundaries or they did something different. But the biggest reason was I changed my mindset about practice. Which I thought was really interesting.
0: So is that a mindset that could be trained in vet school? Or is this something that people can be prepared? Because it seems like if you have over 50%, that's quite a large population that has some doubts. And so it seems like it'd be worthy of, of a discussion consideration while people are in school just to understand what may be coming.
1: Yeah, I think it might be helpful for students and new practitioners to understand that that's a normal feeling. and that it, you know, it happens to a lot of people. It doesn't mean that you necessarily have to leave practice. It doesn't mean you're alone. But that part about mindset, I think is something that we can all adopt. I look at my daughter and in her kindergarten class, and even in her daycare, they started talking about growth mindset and like, you know, how to approach failure and how to approach problems. And at the age of 18 months, they're encouraging them to adopt resilience
0: strategies. What happened to just just shut up with your head down and keep on working. Sounds
1: right? Better, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess it doesn't help long term. <laughs>
0: so, all right, I got to try a new alternative. Gosh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but
1: no, I just it, it's just amazing to me, and I think, wow, I I wish I would have had that when I was that age. And I and then you know I look at some of the cool things that vet schools, some vet schools are doing about resilience training and talking about growth mindset. I just think that stuff is so important and potentially that, you know, maybe that could change things or just understanding and normalizing that sometimes there's a good possibility that you are going to feel burnt out at some point in your career. There's a good point that you might feel like you want to leave and maybe that's the right thing for you at this point and maybe it isn't. So I, I think it's, it'd be helpful to normalize and understand that a little bit better when you're a young student or when you're a, a new practitioner
0: you know and this is a subject that you know i think about a lot because you 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 hear about the attrition in the vet profession and how so many young people come into the profession leave after a few years incidents the statistics of burnout suicide globally for veterinarians it really is this is a tough profession Uh, and the statistics you know tell that story and you know i go back and forth for the longest time i was thinking that boy you know Maybe it's who we select in vet schools. Maybe we're not selecting people with the right resilience, or maybe we were selecting people that'll be great students, but maybe don't have the aptitude to be a great clinical veterinarian. Then I've come around and say, well, that's kind of a one-sided story. And I think you know one of the things I remember about being in vet school was just like, wow, there are so many opportunities. You can go in with one mindset and you're exposed to so much more, which I think is fascinating. But then I also started thinking, you know, more and more recently, with what's going on with COVID right now, and in some of the discussions and, and talking events, is is it also just our business model, our structure? In terms of, you know, there's a lot of factors that we as veterinarians have to deal with that other professionals don't. I'm evolving, or just you know, I'm wavering from, you know, maybe we have to select different type of people to maybe our business model just is, is a flawed one. That causes people to consider that maybe this is not the right profession. People are taking too much out of me. There's a lot of uh, compassion fatigue. People are bullies. That, you know the kind of abuse we get online, and you know maybe no matter what kind of resilience you came out of vet school with, if you have to deal with that all the time, it's going to wear on you.
1: Yeah, potentially. I think those are all really good points. Certainly, I found it very interesting going through the MBA, as I'm sure you did, Mike, when you did yours. You know, reading and practicing some of the HR practices. And reading some of the theories about, you know, that employees are going to be different throughout their career, they're going to contribute different things uh, at different times in their lives, as opposed to that old idea that I'm going to be a vet, I'm going to be the exact same, I'm going to do the exact same thing until I maybe until I die, or until I retire kind of things. And that was a notion that I don't think that I probably ever considered before, which is maybe... I don't know, maybe that says more about me, but it's, uh, I thought it was quite interesting to think about that. And then I, I also think a lot about people who have a strong sense of calling to a profession. I think that's an important part that we should probably consider too, in that all people who are in helping professions experience, we think, a sense of calling. And certainly research in the vet profession suggests a sense that they were meant to do this work, that from a very young age, they identified that they wanted to do this work. And that comes with a lot of cool things and that it allows you to push through really a lot of hardship and get through really grueling programs and deal with lots of hard things, you know, and help animals in a really big way. But it also means you have to take care of that calling and you have to protect yourself a little bit too.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think that's definitely a theme that's been coming out. It's just the self-care, self-compassion. And, you know, because I, I think of so many people that I know who you ask them, how long did you want to be a veteran? You know, when did you decide to want to be a vet? Well, I wanted to know since I was a kid. So I was, you know, eight years old, nine years old, the balls loved animals. And I find it, I was a mature student when I went to vet school. So I already done a couple of careers. That somebody from the age of eight or nine or 10, 12, whatever, decides that this is the path and they follow. And then, yeah, it's not a surprise that all of a sudden you're 40 years, you know, you've been in the profession for 15, 10, 15 years, that you're like, maybe there's something else. and. I don't think, as society, we allow ourselves to ponder or contemplate other things because we're just so focused on put your head down, do your work, provide, shut up, don't complain. I personally don't think you know most people. We're not like that, you know. We change our lives, change. We have families, situations change, and I think we're going to change. And I think it's great that you know you and, and other colleagues that you have are opening the doors that it's okay to change and, and to consider other things.
1: I found it very interesting to read about um, and learn a little bit more about the trend and across all, all um, you know, kind of all professions to, to portfolio careers where potentially you would, um, you know, you may go, may have a single stream of income for a period of time, but then you might also do some freelancing work and then add in some, you know, some locum work and add in a kind of a mix of all different things. To satisfy all different parts of your aptitudes and interests, which I think is kind of it's kind of cool.
0: Now, a question I have for you: I think of myself. I, you know, I, I'm not a practicing veteran anymore, but I, I I work in the profession still, and I have my own practice, and I work with vets. But you know, and I, I still sometimes feel that I haven't really practiced clinically for a few years. That I feel like a bit of a poser when I'm with my associates. You know, I don't want to be that guy. Like back in my day, which is not that long sure. ago. But I, I remember when I transitioned into more practice management, that there was a bit of a void in my life for a while. It was awkward. And I felt weird being with groups of other vets, like, I'm not really a real vet anymore. You know, what kind of emotional reactions do people have when they change their careers?
1: Yeah, really good point. That was one of the driving factors behind starting the DVM project, particularly the discussion group, because I remember when I left practice, I was a very happy practitioner and I really enjoyed being a clinical practitioner. So I didn't really feel like I fit into that group that maybe said, I really hated practice and I didn't, you know, I, I just didn't want to be there, but I, you know, I didn't quite know it's harder to explain who you are because like you say, I'm a horse vet. Everybody understands what that is. Right. Right. But when you say, "Yeah, I'm a vet and I do surveillance and I do like, yeah, I run this network and launch into like a five minute pitch about what you do," it's a little bit less of a nice, easy box to fit yourself into, and you get a lot of a lot of people who will say, "Oh, well, that's interesting. So I guess you're not a real vet anymore." I think it's an interesting thing to to hear, right? Because you're like, well, of course, I'm still a veterinarian, but then you you sort of question yourself, and there is, I think, a, a loss of identity, um, and that's what I hear from others, and I certainly felt that a bit when I left clinical practice, and there is that sense of like, so who are my people now? Because I can't really trade clinical stories, like, what am I going to say? Oh, this hilarious thing happened on this teleconference. Like, it's a little different. <laughs> or, wow, I did this amazing procedure. Which was design a PowerPoint. Like it's not the same. (laughs) So I think it's nice to be able to find your tribe or find a group. And that was an interesting thing that I, I found when sort of meeting all these different veterinarians and trying to link them together with the DVM project. Like they were excited to have a group that they could potentially find other people who were similar to them because we tend to be like one. Unless you're in an academic situation or maybe in a government unit, there's not a lot of you who are in. Like, there's very few people in the world who do the job that I do. Maybe like 10 other people. And same with other other types. You know, they might be the only vet. I just talked to a vet the other day who's the only vet who who is, works for Delta Airlines and takes care of their stuff to do with flying animals. So you know, there's only one of them. So it's hard to find community in that. So I think that's important, and that's a nice thing to be able to find people to. Trade stories with, or just know that there's other people who are like you.
0: I'm great that they have that resource. It's funny because you think of that person from Delta, and you're like, that's so odd. But then you think about it for a second, you're like, well, that makes total sense because, yes, Delta flies a lot of animals around, and that would be great to have a vet there. Mm-hmm. At the same time, as I, as I said, when I go back, when I think about being in vet school, and maybe I was an older student and I had that perspective, I was just like, There is so much going on here. It's almost a waste that we just think of being a vet as clinical practice or research because there are so many aspects where having the veterinary training, not necessarily just with the animals, but just in terms of the the diagnostic methods, the evaluations, the the way you look at things. I know when I was doing my MBA, you may be finding this too. There's myself, another vet who I just met in the the class, ended up becoming a very close friend of mine, and a human physician in you know, it's funny because when we were looking at cases or reading it or evaluating things, we had that history. It just became instinctual for us to ask the questions, to evaluate it, mm-hmm. and it was a type of thinking that other people didn't have. And I was like, "Oh my, we're so fortunate to have that training." And it applies to so many different things. And I, I felt really fortunate to be a vet because it made it gave me a huge leg up.
1: Yeah. And I'm just always amazed at, like, did you know that there's a person who's in charge of, uh, has a huge role in Canada's climate change policy? They're a veterinarian. Hmm. There's a person who's in charge of a lot of the healthcare decisions for COVID right now, and uh, not all of them, but used to be the chief veterinarian for Canada, which is really amazing. Like there's just really cool ways that veterinarians can be useful and, you know, and, and help, help large amounts of people. And I think that training is really critical. That idea of critical thinking, as you say, like kind of the exam room, knowing and understanding that lots of things intermesh, like a biological system, that things don't always work out as you thought they would. If anybody's ever managed a case, you know that not everything follows the textbook.
0: So I have a question for you. And, and if it's a too personal, we, we can skip it. But I'm just trying to think of if... The vet who was four or five years before you made the transition met you, the veterinarian, five years after your transition. What do you think your younger self would have thought of your new career?
1: Oh, good question. Huh. Well, I'm going to answer very, very candidly, Mike. I think that I was probably pretty ignorant about the options that were outside of practice. And I also had this sort of an attitude. And I guess I'm not terribly ashamed to admit it, but it isn't the greatest of attitudes to have that, that I sort of looked down on people who were outside of practice, maybe, or I had this idea that maybe they didn't, they couldn't cut it or something like that. I didn't know because potentially, I can't blame it all on on anybody else. But I think that I had been exposed to potentially attitudes that sort of fostered that like, oh, you know, just sort of sideways things that might have been said in school or by not necessarily by professors, but just in general, and potentially that might have just been a an attitude that I had had. So I hope that I would look at me now and and feel like, wow, that's pretty interesting and neat. But I don't I don't know. I guess uh, there's a good chance I might have been kind of ignorant about it.
0: Well, I think the other factor is you're also a lot younger. I mean, you're when you're younger and you're focused, and we we don't necessarily look at different options. We're just so focused, especially when you're you know within a few years of being out of vet school that you just want to be a fantastic vet. you don't think of other things.
1: Well, sure. And you know, and I it just had never occurred to me that there were other things that could be really satisfying or really cool to do. But I think that yeah, you're potentially right that I just had it. I just hadn't looked around. And I hadn't seen that. It's not that I had any bad attitudes about people who had left practice. I just, I guess I just thought that the one true path was to be a clinical veterinarian, you know, keep your head down and just work really hard. And you know, don't look around or think about it too much. So
0: until it catches up on you and you're like, one day you wake up and you're like, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Knowing what you know now, I think this is a fascinating transition and I, I really commend your courage of making the choice and the, the change because you did what's right for you and not to say, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. You did what, this is what I need to do. Would you have done anything differently early in your career? If you look back at your your clinical vet self, mm-hmm. What would you have said to yourself, you know, doing an internship, as you started your career, like, slow down, look around? What, what are some of the advice you would give yourself?
1: Hmm, that's a good point. I mean, you know me, Mike, I can be a bit full on sometimes, like, I like to go and attack things and be like, you know, no. get, get things done. And I like going 100 miles an hour. That's my favorite thing. So um, <laughs> I had to actually really calm down when I left clinical practice, because I had a lot more time on my hands. So I did a lot of extra weird, like things that I thought would be interesting. And just because they were cool opportunities, you know, I locumed here and there for um, small animal practice. I was a vet at the Pan Am. You know, I spoke at conferences. I did all kinds of things that I thought were interesting opportunities and they were, it was really fun. But yeah, I guess, um, if I was to talk to my younger self, I might just tell myself and I probably wouldn't have listened, but I would have said, you know, potentially develop some better boundaries. You know, learn how to slow down and not be so full on. Although I think that's maybe a lesson I'm still learning to do. <laughs> well, some of that's
0: just your human nature, though. I mean, you are who you are.
1: I think so, but yeah, I think it's important to. I think as I've got older, particularly here's a great example with my MBA. So I, I had my son during the middle of my MBA in 2018. And I had, of course, this crazy optimism that I was just going to pick up and everything was going to be fine. I'd have all this spare time that I could complete my coursework. And once again, the universe showed me this lesson that I had to learn a second and maybe 50th time over um, that. Yeah. You got to slow down sometimes. Like I think, I think in the summertime when he was six or seven months old, you know, I just got hit with like incredible exhaustion. Like I just could not do it anymore. I totally hit a wall. And so I was kind to myself and I was like, all right, I am going to just take this course, I'm going to drop a course, I'm not going to even start this next course, because I just, just cannot do it. And I made a very conscious effort to put a boundary in place that so I couldn't go too crazy. And as I knew if I had just one course to go, I would just push through and I knew that I, I probably couldn't do that. Like it just would have, it would have been a really detrimental decision for for me. So I did do that. And I was very conscious about it. You know, although it means my degree is delayed, finishing, I'm proud that I actually did that because I don't think I would have done that five years ago. So Mm -hmm. I think just, uh, I wish that I could have been a bit more, maybe just slowed down a little bit. I think sometimes you have to learn those things in your own experience, in your own way. Like there's just no way to speed up what you have to learn.
0: Sometimes when you're coaching or mentoring young vets, you see how determined they are, but you also see how determined they are to a fault. And you know that they've got to slow down and you, you can't tell them. And I think the, the patience of being a mentor or to watch somebody else is to know that he's got to learn these mistakes or that the, the path they're on is not sustainable. That's hard. It's really hard when you're on the outside. You've been with enough young vets to see this is where this is going. So I, I think this is another great example that you bring, you know, not only with the Deviant Project, but your own example of, you know, hey, you, you, sometimes you just have to learn these lessons and slow down and you can't do everything. So a I, I question for you, we're in the midst of this, this pandemic, and you know, you, you talked about when you changed your career, you were slowing down, or you, you, you were forced to slow down when you had your pregnancy, and do you think this will be a time, this is, you know, the COVID-19 is such a transformative time in our society, how do you think that's going to impact people that maybe have been pondering their careers? Are we going to see like this deluge of, of, of people changing careers, or is the pause going to refresh, or... How do you think this is going to impact people?
1: Well, I feel like this is like a pre-purchase question, Mike. Like, <laughs> I'm pull out my crystal <laughs> ball. Hold on. <laughs> you know, to be honest with you, I'm quite excited to see what might come out of coronavirus in this time of, you know, kind of madness. Like, and it'll be different for everybody, right? Like, if you're a single person at home, you're going to have a lot different experience than somebody who's, you know, two parents who are working from home with children, right? So, you know, potentially some people will have a lot of time to ponder and other people will have a lot of stress. Right, right. But at the same time, I'm very excited for some of the innovations that have come out of it. And and potentially there might be more innovation that would come out of it. Like maybe this is, maybe this would be a great time to be an entrepreneur and bring some crazy idea to the market because you, you know the world might need what you have to offer.
0: Oh, it's a great time to be an entrepreneur. Oh my yeah. gosh, this is where great things happen.
1: Yeah, like just really neat, innovative ideas, or if you've had an idea, but you've been too scared to do it. I mean, part of it is great because not everyone is watching, so everybody's worried about their own stuff, but it might be a great time to meet somebody's needs that, you, mm-hmm. that you'd that you like to. And other things that I think are cool, or I think it's very neat that telemedicine has really rocketed forward you know, it's really pushed the envelope. There were a lot of maybe late adopters, I think, that have been pushed into, I mean, you would probably know a bit more about this than I would, but I feel like that's been a very exciting area to watch as an outsider. And then looking at some of the government stuff that's coming out of, and the government need, uh, the recognizing that they need more veterinarians, they're actively recruiting in the US for USDA and APHIS. Uh, There's tons of jobs every single week, um, both in the human health and the crossover space, as well as for veterinary positions, which I think is just really, really cool.
0: It is cool. So one of the neat things that you're involved with now, because as you're talking about your accomplishments, I on some levels you've really changed. On some levels, you are really, really ambitious. Still,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know as I'm as I'm talking about, you know, I'm a bit full on sometimes. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> you have uh, teamed up with other veterinarians and other groups that are like-minded, and you're instrumental in organizing the Global Veterinary Career Summit coming up at the beginning of June. Can you tell us some more about that?
1: Yeah, so um, let me tell you the story behind it, because I think that's probably a fun part too. I'm part of the DVM Project discussion group, and then also there's a group that's um, similar in the UK called VetStego Diversify. Led by a lovely person called Ebony Escalona. She's actually an, an equine veterinarian who left, she has a, a vast portfolio of things that she's done. And then there's another veterinarian in Australia who I uh, got to know. She's a similar group, veterinarycareers.com, mm-hmm. and they both run similar communities. Um, and we sort of got together on a, I sent them a message via Facebook Messenger and said, hey, Do you want to get together and chat about just about stuff like you guys are doing something very similar as Ebony and I had got together a couple times on Skype from across the world. So we got together on the phone and we really hit it off and we were talking about, you know, what might be on the horizon and some of the cool trends that are coming up in careers. And so we thought maybe it'd be cool to do a summit across all three continents in the fall. And then coronavirus hit two weeks later. Like, really big time for everybody. This was a few weeks before the March break when everything shut down in Ontario, and it was right around the time that things had shut down in the UK. So, we had another call and we said, Well, holy moly, like, there are a lot of vets out of work right now, and there's a lot of people. We're seeing tons of messages across all of our message boards and emails. So, I wonder if we could move this up and maybe make it sooner so we could really make a difference and and help people. So we decided to move it up to June, and we've got some incredible world-class speakers that are going to be part of this virtual summit. It's going to be online, so people can pop in and out at any time zone that they're in and participate in pre-recorded stuff. And then if they want to see a live thing, then they can tune in at the right time, and we're going to try and make them in the right time zones for everybody. We're going to have networking sessions about a career in a beer. So you can pop into a room with uh, somebody who you might have, you might be interested in their type of career. And you can ask them about how they got there and what they like about their job. You know, we'll have some keynotes and then some very career focused stuff about how to grow your career, some stuff about wellness and resilience as it relates to careers, and then tactical things like how to adopt a growth mindset, how to. Very how-to topic stuff, how to write a killer LinkedIn profile, how to really rock your interview, how to bring an idea to market if you want to be an entrepreneur, some of the basic entrepreneur skills that you might need to have. So it's going to be a whole kind of a mishmash from all different, a mishmash with a real plan and a vision um, to, to allow every person who leaves the career summit with some tangible stuff, some idea stuff and some networking stuff so to have made more connections to have some better idea and know themselves a bit better and then also just have some more knowledge that they might arm themselves with to be happier and more fulfilled in whatever career in vet med that they that they end up in.
0: that sounds wonderful. Uh, how do people find out how do people find out more information about this uh, virtual summit?
1: Yeah, so they can go to global veterinary career summit.com or you can also visit the dvm project and it's up there under events the dvm project.com tickets go on sale tomorrow and we've tried very hard to keep them very affordable so that um, as many people can attend as possible and that it isn't outside of anyone's price range it's going to be over five days so for five days of ce it's fairly affordably priced tons of talks every day and you can uh, listen to the stuff back again afterwards
0: Hey, before we leave, the one thing that we haven't touched, you brought it up. I want to make sure we get back to it again. I know you're very proud of it. And that is your research project. Uh, That's related to your MBA. So anything out of the project, I know it's it's a broad, wide, all-encompassing kind of uh, uh, research. What was your biggest surprise or what was your biggest aha moment when you started to compile the results?
1: Oh, good question again. geez, it's like you've done this before, Mike.
0: <laughs> Never with you, because you're the only person that I know who is doing the BVM project. So you're like a Delta <laughs> vet, by yourself.
1: So I think there are tons of really cool things out of the survey. But one of the things that really surprised me, I thought that there would be much more difference. I spent a lot of time running data tests to see if older vets versus younger vets were different and men versus women and that, that, those type of comparisons. And if you did an internship where did you react differently? Did you do different things in your career? And there are some small differences for sure. There are some specific areas, but for the most part, interestingly, most of us feel the same sense of calling, whether we are in practice or not in practice. Most of us Feel a sense of stress at some point in our careers. Most of us have challenges like family responsibilities, burnout. Most of us have those stresses at some point in our career. And, you know, a a lot of us are we're very much the same, regardless of of what group we're in. So it doesn't, you know, the group that was in state in practice wasn't really statistically a lot different than the group that, that left practice. So we're very much the same. So as much as we're different, as much as we can kind of group ourselves differently and make all these divisions, we're really mostly the same
0: yep 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 that's not a surprise actually that yes and I think the more we look at things that different scenarios but the same challenges and I, as you start listing all the things that you get burnt out your family and you know, it's like yep 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 I think we can all check off that I commend you because I think this is a really a, a siren voice that we need in our profession because I think so many people uh, need to know there's an alternative and it's good to have an alternative and just because you're not you know, your dream of being a clinical vet is not what you thought it would be, that's fine and that's good and that's actually very courageous and brave when you look for alternatives. So I really, really do commend you and I, I hope I can have you come back uh, onto this podcast and hear more about what you're doing. I think this is one of the things that our profession really needs a lot. So thank you very, very much.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me.
0: At Oculus Insights, we care a lot about animals, but we also care about the health of the veterinary profession. Our goal is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success.